The Third Wheel, Herbert Smith Freehill's podcast series exploring all things ESG. I'm Lucy McCullough. I'm a partner and head of finance at HSF in Melbourne. I advise clients on financing transactions with a focus on impact finance, including sustainable, social and green loans. Today is a special takeover episode. We're taking the wheels from hosts Tim Stutt and Mel Demenham to discuss our thoughts and reflections on the recent Australian Sustainable Finance Summit. I'm joined today by Alice Molan and Anna Coronio, but I'll leave it to them to introduce themselves. Thanks, Lucy. Great to be joining today. Hi, everyone. I'm Alice Molan. I'm a partner in the financial services regulatory team. I advise clients on how to set up and operate a regulated financial services business, from advising on what authorizations you need to the ongoing compliance controls that should be in place in a regulated financial services business. Hi everyone, I'm Anna Coronio, a senior senior associate in the Head Office Advisory Team, or HOLAT, as some of you may know. I advise on governance and ESG issues, including from a disclosure perspective. Fantastic. Well, we're all catching up today to debrief after the Australian Sustainable Finance Summit, which was held in Sydney recently on 24 October. There was a wealth of information shared, and it was great to be at the summit and hear about new developments and innovation in relation to sustainable finance. Alice, perhaps you could kick us off by telling us more about the event. Yeah, absolutely. So the summit was the second of its kind held by the Australian Sustainable Finance Institute, known as ASFI. The focus of this year was ambition and what ambition in relation to sustainable finance would look like. Discussions at the summit mainly focused on how Australia's sustainable finance sector is in prime position for growth and innovation. Three key ideas were raised. First, the creation of an Australian sustainable finance taxonomy. Second, development of our disclosure and reporting standards. And third, the the importance of transition planning and transition financing. Though perhaps for our listeners, we should start with how sustainable finance has developed in the last 12 months. Sure. Great idea, Alice. Helpfully, ASFI have a roadmap, which is their guiding document, and performance against the roadmap is monitored by a progress tracker. ASFI publishes its progress tracker annually, which helps us see how the sector has developed so far, and it's updated regularly. At the conference, ASFI reported that Australia has moved from being a laggard to an early follower on sustainable finance. So that's great progress. As listeners may know, Australia has ratified the Paris Agreement on Climate Change and adopted the UN Sustainable Development Goals. What we are focusing on now is developing a financial system which is aligned with those commitments. There are many elements to create alignment, and ASFI updated us that progress has been made on introducing mandatory climate disclosure from 1 July 2024, which Anna will talk about a bit later in this podcast, developing a framework for Australia's first sovereign green bond issuance and advancing a world-leading sustainable finance taxonomy. Alice, can you tell us a bit more about the taxonomy? What is it and how are we going? Sure thing. The Australian Sustainable Finance Taxonomy was a major focus of the summit. There are international sustainable finance taxonomies in place already, but there are now really tangible steps being taken to to design and implement an Australian taxonomy that's science-based, usable, and also internationally interoperable. This is being developed by ASFI with co-funding from the Australian Federal Government. 
The idea of a sustainable finance taxonomy is that it would set out definitions for sustainable finance with the intention of providing investors with confidence and assurance, enable comparison, reduce costs, and also accelerate capital into, into sustainable outcomes. So there already are international sustainable finance taxonomies, but the idea of an Australian taxonomy is that, would, that, is that it would reflect the characteristics of the Australian market while also being aligned with international standards. From my financial services regulatory perspective, having an agreed benchmark on terminologies and common meanings should help address some of the arguments around what sustainable finance means. I thought, interestingly, earlier this year, at the same time that the government announced its funding of the taxonomy, in the, in the same announcement, the federal government also announced additional funding to, to ASIC for the purpose of cracking down on misleading claims on sustainability. So the government clearly sees the two issues as going hand in hand. On that note, I think having a consistent taxonomy is also important from a greenwashing risk perspective. Currently, there is quite a focus on carefully defining terms in public disclosures and in sort of what you put out in terms of climate ambitions and targets and using the terms consistently as a way of mitigating greenwashing risk. But a taxonomy will provide more consistency and understanding of what particular key terms mean. It'll also help reduce friction on transactions as participants will be describing important concepts using a common language. Moving to the second key issue discussed at the summit, being updates to disclosure and reporting standards. Conversations on this topic were very timely because the Australian Accounting Standards Board, or the AASB, released the exposure draft for the reporting standards relating to the disclosure of climate-related financial information the day before the summit. AASB is essentially consulting on how IFRS S1 and S2 will be implemented in Australia and that consultation will be open until 1 March 2024 and we're currently working on our submission. As expected, at this stage, reporting will still be limited to climate-related risks and opportunities, so not sustainability more broadly, and the anticipated commencement remains unchanged, so there'll be a staged implementation from 1 July 2024. From a format and location perspective, the exposure draft acknowledges that there are various possible locations in general purpose financial reports in which to disclose climate-related financial information, and specifically allows for cross-referencing where certain conditions are met, so there is some flexibility there. There are a couple of notable differences between the IFRS standards, and one that's particularly relevant is in relation to financed emissions disclosures of entities that participate in asset management, commercial banking, or financial activities. And the AASB has relaxed the requirement under IFRS S2 to disclose certain information in relation to financed emissions and is now instead proposing that they require those entities to consider the, the applicability of those disclosures. Speaking of the role of lenders, more broadly, there is an increasing focus on sustainability issues being factored into lending and financing arrangements, with lenders playing a central role in facilitating the energy transition and working with borrowers to reduce their emissions. We're seeing increasing numbers of lenders requiring clients from or customers from particular carbon intensive industries to have transition plans in place by particular dates. And we're really seeing um, the summit's ambition um, 
purpose playing out in practice with lenders being ambitious in using the borrowing moment to create change? I think that's right, Anna. And um, I might use that as a segue into other topics around lending that were discussed at the summit. Uh, a big focus was obviously innovative approaches to providing sustainable finance. And one such approach, which I've also heard used in the market a lot recently, is the provision of what's called blended finance. So blended finance is where different types of capital are blended together to finance an asset or business. For example, more risk tolerant capital, being capital that can take greater risks than other capital, such as public finance, could take a high risk component of a transaction and then be blended with other types of capital, such as private sector capital or philanthropic capital for lower risk elements. In Australia, the CEFC, Clean Energy Finance Corporation, is an entity focusing in this space as it provides public capital. CEFC, as other, everyone would know, is a Commonwealth-funded entity. At the conference, we heard from CEO Ian Learmont. He articulated that CEFC can often provide longer-term debt and provide financing which may take on the first risk piece, thus being able to provide higher risk capital and fund riskier and newer technologies. We also heard from the CEO of the Green Finance Institute, Dr. Rianne Marie Thomas, based in the United Kingdom. The Green Finance Institute is pioneering different types of blended finance and innovative finance solutions. Dr. Thomas said that one of the success factors for the Green Finance Institute was bridging the execution gap, meaning the gap between intent and good ideas and real bankable opportunities and implementing them. Dr. Thomas suggested we need to redeploy capital away from the carbon economy into the net zero economy and mobilise public and private funding using blended financing structures. This creates a real opportunity for collaboration across all players in the sector. It's, yeah, it was really interesting. Another part of the summit that I thought was really insightful insightful was the conversation on the importance of supporting Australia's First Nations people with their right to self-determination and supporting the implementation of free prior informed consent in the context of the sustainable financing. We heard from um, We've, we heard how First Nations people in Canada are leading in this area, and there was a keynote address from the Chief Sustainability Officer of Canada's First Nations major projects. There was a great quote that really stuck with me, which was, the road to net zero runs through Indigenous lands. Part of the discussion was on the importance of engagement with First Nations communities for sustainable investment and positive outcomes. So approaching projects in partnership with First Nations communities so that investment has a positive economic impact uh, and so that there's ongoing participation in the projects rather than just it being a one-off upfront transaction. And I think that long-term approach also reflects an understanding of the importance of natural capital in sustainable finance, a recognition that it's essential that investments look at the impact on our natural environment from an immediate as well as long-term perspective. So to wrap up and tie back to the theme of the summit being ambition, some general takeaways about how ambition can be used to push greater development and innovation in the sustainable finance sector include being honest, we need to take a serious look into the consequences that the profound climate risk of today has on our financial system. 
We need to be ambitious in ensuring that we govern the risk, risk differently and in how we engage with regulators. I agree with all that, Anna. And I think we're out for time, but I wanted to say thank you, Alice and Anna, for joining me today. It's been great to chat to you and with you about how the key summit takeaways can influence us all in the sustainable finance area. But before we close, as is our tradition, a fun fact from the world of ESG. Until more recently, male asset and wealth managers didn't believe in ESG's money-making potential, and so they handed it off to women. As a result, it's one of the rare areas of finance where women are well represented. In fact, EY recently found that women account for 40% of the sector's European boards and 55% of board members in the UK with sustainability experience. Same can be said for female representation at the summit. It was great to see women taking charge in this space and working towards the betterment and development of sustainable finance in Australia. As always, thank you for listening. In the spirit of reconciliation, Herbert Smith Freehills acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.